Bible reading is Acts chapter 8, verses 5 to 25. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, "'This man is rightly called the great power of God.'" They followed him because, they, because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word is truth and there are many things that we can learn from it and live through it. Lord God, we just pray that your word is effective this morning, that I get out of the way and let your word speak. And we just pray, Lord God, that we're able to draw out what you have written in it, Lord God. Amen. I didn't do plastic sleeves this time Um, (laughs) because it was a bit reflective last time, so... There you go. Um, how are we? That's good. <laughs> good too. Um, now, there is an American preacher going around today who is about to come back to Australia. He has been here a few times before. He has claimed that he has personally raised over 38 people from the dead. He, he and, and him and his ministry team have raised over 500 people from the dead. That's pretty amazing, 500 people from the dead. I've only raised three. No, I haven't raised any. <laughs> he claims to have multiplied food, to have been miraculously transported from place to place, to drive a vehicle underwater, 
to have people to have seen people fly across the room under the anointing of God and many, many other things, including preaching in three different continents at the same time, simultaneously. This preacher claims and boasts he is someone great. The sad thing is the congregations he visits believe him and they lay their jackets and their tops on the stage at his feet for him to anoint so they can then continue those miracles. He has made millions of dollars from his stories collected by donations and offerings of the churches that he visits and the booklets and DVDs he sells claiming that the anointing containing these teachings will cause you to walk in the supernatural. Now the passage of scripture that we, that we read today introduces us to someone very, very similar. The followers of Christ have been scattered due to Saul's persecution. So just the chapter before we've got, we've got Stephen being stoned and Saul persecuting the church fervently and as a result they, they scatter. Um, and God's sovereign plan through that is being outworked. You know, remember what, uh, what Jesus preached, uh, what Jesus told them in, in Acts 1.8, you know, you'll be my witnesses in Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here we have Philip, one of those seven um, stewards that we were introduced to uh, a few chapters ago, coming to Samaria, forced to leave Jerusalem because of persecution, but fulfilling the call to preach the gospel. You know, I always wonder at those seven, you know, they were there to, to distribute food to the widows, but <laughs> you don't see that much. They're preaching the word of God, aren't they? They're, they're proclaiming the word of God. Yeah, you have, uh, you have Stephen and now you have Philip who are doing quite the opposite to actually distributing food to the widows, um, but, but proclaiming God's truth. And, uh, and so he leaves Jerusalem. He's going through to Samaria and now Samaria, here's a people that they're not very fond of the Jews. And likewise, the Jews are not very fond of the Samaritans. Um, but like the Jews, the Samaritans were waiting for their Messiah. They were waiting on a sort of a makeshift hybrid. They have a hybrid makeshift sort of uh, Judaism. They expected a Messiah and a great teacher to come. They expected their Messiah to be a, a leader uh, who would save the people. Um, but uh, in that context, we have Philip coming to Samaria but someone's already here, aren't they? He encounters Simon, and Simon claims to be the great power. Now, the phrase great power was a Samaritan reference for a supreme deity. Simon had claimed to be a, this supreme deity, or at least representing this supreme deity that has come to earth for the redemption of men, claiming to be, or at least to be, representing their awaited Messiah. Justin Martyr, um, many of us have heard of Justin Martyr, um, he was a first century convert um, who was also from Samaria, wrote of Simon saying that Simon, a Samaritan who did mighty acts of magic so that he was considered a god. Now Simon was doing great signs and works but not from God. Many commentators have said that the magic described here is presented as satanic power actualized. This, so he wasn't just pretending like this guy that I talked about who's coming to Australia, this guy was actual doing actual signs and wonders uh, there. Um, satanic power actualised. Everyone thought that Simon was great, including Simon himself. Don't you love a self-promoter? Don't you love someone who's so good at promoting themselves they can sell ice to Eskimos? Simon, like many others across this millennia, claimed to be great for what they can show the world, for what works they can perform. But behind this mirage is what counts. It's not about what, what you say on the outside. 
God doesn't look at that. God doesn't look at our promotion. He doesn't look at the. He doesn't look at what we say to other people. He doesn't look at what we say to ourselves. We're all bad, made bare before God, aren't we? The end is the same for us all. No matter how great someone claims to be, no matter if we're the greatest businessman of all time or the person cleaning the toilets, we all face God, and we all have the same to offer God. Hebrews four thirteen warns us, saying, "Nothing in all creation." is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him, whose eyes, before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So then here along comes Philip. And what a contrast we have in Philip compared to Simon. Philip was not claiming to be someone great. He, he didn't rock up in town going, look, you, know, you know, look at us, we can do awesome things. He was preaching Jesus the Messiah. This, you know, he was preaching that the Messiah that they were hoping for has indeed come has indeed risen, as is indeed here. The Samaritans who had previously been captive to Simon's message were amazed um, by, what, by what they saw and, they, and now they're captivated by the message that Philip's, Philip's preaching and the Christ that he proclaimed. Preaching and proclaiming the good news is central here. Philip wasn't coming just to do signs and wonders and moving on. He was there to preach Christ and Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Jesus was greater and the people believed him. Jesus was greater than this Simon. Jesus is the, the Messiah. He is the great one. And, they, and so they believed and they were baptised, and including Simon. Simon were believed and was baptised as well. But we'll talk about that later. In Luke, 20, in Luke chapter 9, 51 and 56, we see the last time that the, the apostles, or the disciples back then, were in Samaria with Jesus. Jesus went, sent messages ahead of him, to Samaria to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive them because Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. In verse 54 of Luke 9, we see that uh, the disciples, James and John, saw that, that they weren't being received. And they, asked, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Samaritans were, were after all, despised by the Jews, weren't they? And the other way around, of course. The Jews saw Samaritans as nothing but half-breeds. So when Jesus taught in parables of the ten lepers and the only one that came back after being healed was a Samaritan or, of course, the, the, uh, the Samaritan that we all know, the famous parable, the good Samaritan, well, it cut the Jews to the quick. And so Jesus rebukes them. Jo James and John wanted to judge the place, wanted to call fire down from heaven to destroy them just because they didn't accept Jesus. But, of course, the Lord rebukes them. The ministry of Jesus' first coming was not to bring condemnation, but we are told to, but, but to preach the gospel. You know, what does uh, Jesus say in John, in John 3, 17? Uh, you know, he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. The offer of the free gospel. It's a challenge, isn't it? And a reminder to look at our motivation and our reactions. How do we respond to a world that rejects Christ? And the world rejects Christ, doesn't it? The world absolutely rejects the true Jesus. Now, we, the world has, a, has their own Jesus, you know, the, we, and we have a temptation to, to make Jesus into a, uh, into a compromising, uh, loving Jesus. That sounds bad. Jesus is loving, right? <laughs> but we have, a, we have a, a, a temptation to make him into, he's all love, he's all acceptance, he's, he's, he just loves you the way you are. Um, but, but we need to respond in love to a world that hates us, to, that hates the Jesus of the Bible. Now we have Philip coming to Samaria to preach the gospel, the free gospel. And in verse 14, we read that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria 
had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They were simply being baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We see here that the Samaritans, in a sense, have their own Pentecost, don't they? Similar to what happens in Acts 2, happens here again in Samaria. What is the significance of this? Why didn't they receive the Holy Spirit when they, got, when they accepted Jesus and were baptised? Salvation with the latter coming of the Holy Spirit is not normative and it is an exceptional occurrence. We only see it in four times. We see it in Acts chapter 2 uh, when the Holy Spirit falls on the, on the, uh, on the apostles and the disciples. We see it in, here at, uh, in Samaria. We see it in Acts chapter 10 when the Gentiles believed and in Acts 19 when uh, Paul preached to John the Baptist's uh, disciples uh, in Paul's ministry in Ephesus. So the reason for the delay is most likely, likely to show both the apostles and also the witnesses and that, that the Samaritans are included and that God has acted. The one constant in all of these occurrences is that there, that, uh, there is an apostle present. And it is now... Nor, nor, like when I got saved, when we all get saved, when, when Christ... Um, when we, Christ saves us, we receive the Holy Spirit, don't we? Um, this is shown when Peter says in Acts 2.28, repent and be baptised and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There's no further step required or implied in Peter's preaching there. This is God's plan working through the preaching of the gospel to all the nations that the free gift is for all people that believe. How do we know, how do we know that we have received the Holy Spirit today? Well, it's in John 3. John chapter 3 is an amazing chapter full of so much. We know John chapter 3, 16, but chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, Jesus tells Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. This is our spiritual rebirth. Water is talking about our natural birth, first-time birth, um, and, uh, you know, we'll come out of the waters of being born uh, there. I won't get into the scientific details. That that's, the, uh, that's the greatest science I've ever known uh, there. The, uh, you know, that's scientific. Um, anyway, I'll move on. Um, <laughs> but there is one body and one spirit, Ephesians tells us, just as we are called to one hope and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. The unity we have is for, for all believers, regardless of our background, regardless of our nationality, Regardless of where we're from, what a unity we have. One baptism, one belief, one God. We are united with all believers through that one baptism. And that one baptism referred to in Ephesians is, is talking about the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit when one becomes a believer in Christ. The Holy Spirit is a free gift to those who believe, to all believers, and there's no extra step required. God is showing the apostles, the Samaritans, and the witnesses in the passage and the readers of this passage, including us all, that the gospel is free for all people. That's a bit of a contrast to when John last was there in Samaria where he wanted to call fire down from heaven. Now we see that, this, that Samaritans are included in God's plan, that, uh, that we're moving, we're spreading the gospel through persecution, through Jude Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the ministry of, God, of the gospel cannot be purchased. You can't buy the ministry of the gospel. 
Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands. He saw the outworking of God, the Holy Spirit, and he wanted to harness that ability. He wanted to be able to captivate it, and, and he wanted to be able to distribute it himself. Effectively, he was trying to buy himself an apostleship, try to buy and make his way into an apostleship. However, Peter, the true apostle, rebuked Simon. So what, is, what was Simon's sin here? We have a similar story a couple of chapters ago in Ananias and Sapphira. It was not their outward action that sinned against the Holy Spirit, but their deceitful heart. Simon saw the signs and wonders. He saw that the gift of the Holy Spirit was given through the apostles laying on of hands and he wanted to buy the gift. So what does Peter say? May your money perish with you in verse 20 because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray that the Lord will hope uh, the, that the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. This implies here that Simon did not believe because of the message his heart was not right before God. Even when Peter rebuked him, what a, what, a, uh, what a response by Simon. Peter rebukes him. The apostle Peter rebukes him. And what, he, what does Simon say in response? He doesn't, he, he doesn't repent. He, doesn't, he hasn't got a contrite heart. He says, pray the Lord that nothing like you have said will happen to me. He prays that he doesn't get the consequence for his actions. He doesn't pray a, a, a repentance prayer here. He doesn't pray a true believer's prayer here. Simon here asked Peter to pray that he would not receive the consequence. There is no apparent contrite heart, no brokenness over sin. What is clear is that Simon believed not because of the message of the gospel, but because of the signs and wonders. And he was acting in character, wasn't he? Acting like perhaps we, he always had. And magicians would often buy and exchange uh, money for secrets, which is another sign that his heart had not changed. When Simon was tr if Simon was truly repentant or not is, is not specifically stated. However, there is no fruit in keeping with repentance. What we have here across two chapters is a great contrast. We have the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, and then the very next chapter, here we have, we have the first heretic in Simon, the first false convert, potentially. Like Ananias and Sapphira, the warning against apostasy is clear from Peter. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. If we go back to, uh, to verse 13, we see that Simon followed Philip everywhere. Just imagine that. Philip's going around preaching the gospel and then you've got Simon probably taking notes, you know, having a look and seeing if he can copy the thing. That's, um, you know, although Simon may have been at some point initially with the rest of the Samaritans, you know, when he heard the original gospel from Philip, obsession with the spiritual power of the apostles soon proved to be the dominant issue for him. Simon's magical worldview was unchanged. John chapter 2, 23 to 25, we have a similar situation. So Jesus with the disciples is in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. Many people saw the signs that Jesus was performing and, and believed in his name. But Jesus was, would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need a testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Following for the signs and wonders is inferior to true commitment and true conversion to Christ. In our churches today, we have many like Simon. We come to a church because of the signs they see, they, the, the promise of miracles, the attractiveness of success. I'm sure many of the people going to see this preacher who's coming from America, they're coming 
not to, to hear the gospel. They're coming to hear the signs, to see, to see the, the stories that he tells, to, to, see all of the, to hear all about the miracles that he performed. Um, the, the, great, um, the great sad thing is that many churches centred around what feeds the desire, those desires. You don't have to look far to hear a message in these churches that tickles itching ears. Paul warns young Pastor Timothy, saying, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. As a new Christian in a Pentecostal church, many of you know my past. I, um, many, many, many years ago when I was young, um, young and, you know, I'm not young. I'm not going to do that, honey, sorry. Um, <laughs> I've got notes here. Stay on track. Don't ablib, you know. Pause. <laughs> I was taken back by the attractiveness of the church that I went to, oh, the type of message that I heard, the message about the promised success, blessings, to be able to work miracles, to be able to see miracles. Although I loved to serve, my motivation was sometimes polluted as I looked to see who was watching, chasing recognition. As a young small group leader, it was sometimes an unhealthy obsession to have the biggest group, the best, the best group, to have the best testimonies at camp, to, have, to be called out from stage. You know, it's something I, I, I we, we all, as young leaders, it was something we, we searched for and looked for. As I grew in Christ and my service became more Christ-centred, I saw the next generation of chasing the same things that I did as a young leader. All of us need to watch our hearts and make sure that when we serve, it is for Christ and not seeking recognition. On the flip side, some areas that are, are left wanting in our church and are left lacking is, is for helpers is sometimes, not here, but the church in, as a whole, is sometimes because they're not the upfront ministries. They're the, they're the ones behind the scenes. Ministry and service should never be about recognition or making a name for ourselves. The same warning for Simon is for us. The importance of our heart motivation is never more important than in our service to God. Our heart motivation is, is so important in service. We should all serve our church. It's, it, we're the body of Christ. Each Christian should be motivated to contribute to share in the body of Christ. We are his body. Each of us has a use, is a useful member when we dedicate our gifts to the service of the body. But the good news is the, good news is the same hope for Simon is also for hope for us, for us all. The gospel was preached to Simon. And even after all of this that Simon went through, Peter still preached true, offered true repentance. But Peter still preached that to Simon. There are many practices we had in, our, in the old church that I used to go to that were not biblical. But the great hope we have is that our God is gracious and quick to forgive. And he does not hold our sins against us. If this extends to Simon, then it extends to us all. I think there's many people who have dabbled in stuff that perhaps we shouldn't have dabbled in in the past that sometimes we get overly caught up and condemned in the past we sometimes think oh, I've done that and, and feel feel condemned and feel um, that God will never forgive us you know can I just say that that if we have if Christ is our Lord and we have repented of our sin then he is he is we, we have a confession every week for that reason he is he is just he forgives our sins he cleanses us from all unrighteousness we don't need to rehash that gear uh, if we've dabbled in that gear. 
He won't hold us against us. You don't need to rehash your past. Be grateful for God's grace and forgiveness. The truth of the gospel and Jesus is far greater than any show me signs. Chasing signs, chasing wonders, chasing success, chasing miracles, chasing those outward things is not, is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ crucified. The truth of the gospel is far greater than any of that. Fruit of the Spirit is not signs and wonders. The fruit of the Spirit is not, we've got a massive church. Look at our building. Look at our success. Look at my money. Look at my house. Look at my, you know, sometimes always, it's always a bit of a catchphrase. Oh, they're okay. They're, those things are okay. They're okay, all right? But they're not, but the, but the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of salvation is not success, the fruit of salvation is, is, is what does it say in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, which is a scripture worth mesmerising. It's a mesmerising scripture worth memorising. Um, <laughs> a scripture worth committing to memory. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You're not going to get in trouble for being patient with someone, for, being, for, for showing love to someone for having patience with someone, for having gentleness with someone. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the things that God works in our life when we, when we commit to him, when we serve Christ and when we serve the body. They're the true fruits of the Spirit, not excess everything. Not that anyone here is chasing that at all, right? but I'm just saying, fruit of the Spirit is keeping, in repentance, is keeping with repentance. Let us value those fruits. As God's ambassadors to the world, let us... You know, there's no formula. There's no um, formula to follow, no product to sell. We have, we have a person to preach, the God-man Jesus Christ, who, has, who had no sin but was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. As we, as we proclaim the free gospel, let us remind ourselves that it is made free because the Christ paid, or the price that Christ paid. Let us not devalue it by trying to sell a cheap copy. You know, let us, let us preach the gospel, the free gospel to everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your free gospel. We thank you for that gospel that was given to us. For us, we're, we're sitting here because we've received your free gospel. We're so grateful. Jesus, that you died. Jesus, that you took our place. That you died on that cross. That you rose from the dead. That you reigned victorious. We thank you that it's a free gospel that was preached to us. And it's something that cannot be sold. It can't be cheapened through a gimmick. Help us as your children to preach the gospel to our, to our family, to our neighbours, to our friends, but most importantly, to ourselves every day. We thank you for your free gospel. We thank you that you are in control of your church, that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Your church will reign. You will reign, Jesus. Thank you for that. We praise you for that this morning. Amen.